Well, hey, everybody, this is Craig Ballantyne from TurbulenceTraining.com here with a really interesting update, really interesting podcast for you about my Tough Mudder running experience. Now, I did the Tough Mudder in Beaver Creek, Colorado on June the 9th, and I was down there and I actually spent a couple of days at altitude preparing for this because it started at 8,000 feet and went up to about 11,500. So I'm going to tell you all about it and the events that were the obstacles that were in the Tough Mudder, how, a little bit about how I trained for it, and then how you can prepare for one if you do it. So my time ended up being two hours and 50 minutes, which I think is pretty good because the average is about four. And it really was a it was a great time. I did about you know eight weeks of training, so I had some new training innovations and personal insights into my attitude and about getting out of my comfort zone, and definitely made a lot of uh, new friendships with people that I did it with, but also with uh, some other Tough Mudder participants there. So it's it's really a great time and a good adventure to add to your life list if you're really into fitness challenges. Now this all started with a conversation I had with uh, my friend Matt in his kitchen in Golden, Colorado back in January because I was helping him plan out his year and we wanted to do some physical challenges. So I think it was maybe, well, it was definitely one of the two of us that suggested a Tough Mudder race. I can't remember exactly who it was. And so, you know, the uh, the website promises that it's supposed to be one of the toughest things you can do and this specific one was a tough version because of the all the altitude. And it also supports a good cause, the Wounded Warrior Foundation. So Matt and I decided to do it. And I went into training about a month and a bit later. And I worked up to about an eight-mile run. And when I, when I was able to do that, I was like, okay, this is going to be no problem on the legs. Um, and then I started looking into the obstacles. And in the end, the, the one that I did felt more like a run than an obstacle course because there was, uh, there was miles in between obstacles at some point, and especially climbing up the mountain was quite difficult. Um, I would say if you can do six miles continuously, then your uh, legs are probably prepared for it because there's a lot of breaks. So you're not going to be doing 12 miles continuously. And when I mean your legs will be prepared for it, I mean your shins. Um, you know, you're going to find out what shoes are best for you, all that sort of thing. So I definitely got really good shoes. I had this pair of uh, Sokinis, uh that that served me very well. Um, I did a little bit of trail running. I did a little bit of hill running. Um, I could have had more preparation in climbing up ski slopes, but I don't have a whole lot of ski slopes near me in Toronto. So that really would have helped um, maybe doing a few more uh, climbs up big hills if possible. But really, I was well prepared for it. So I could do my eight miles in under an hour, and I knew I was going to be able to handle the endurance portion. So the other thing was the altitude. So I asked my friend and exercise physiology professor, Dr. Stuart Phillips, who's very famous in the protein research world, he he told me that all I needed was five days of sleeping at altitude and I'd be fine. And that actually worked out perfect because I was in New York for the weekend before and then I flew immediately out to Denver on Sunday and I stayed at 7,400 feet in at my friend's place in Golden. And I slept there for a week. I didn't do any hard training because it was taper time. I did some regular weight workouts, but even those were kind of easy. And I didn't do any uh, cardiovascular training because really at that point all you can do is hurt yourself by overtraining. So it was really, I was well prepared, and I went into the race with very few um, sore spots, and I was really ready to go. So I have the an eight-week program called TT Adventure Race Training, which 
works really well. One of the guys who did the program with us was a guy named Scott Whitlock, who's turning 50 this month, and he did the race in two hours and 55 minutes, and he said it was easy, which is pretty funny. So um, he had a great time, and basically that program got him ready for it, really ready for it. So the week before, as I mentioned, is taper and reduce training. The main fact is you can really only get hurt in the final seven days. You can't get fit. If you're not fit, you shouldn't be doing it. If you're not ready, don't do it because it's pretty serious stuff. Now, you don't have to do anything crazy in the week before, especially obviously in training. Um, I took two full days off exercise, the Thursday and Friday, and I slightly increased my carbohydrate intake through you know, some potatoes and extra fruit in, on Thursday and Friday. You don't need an insane carb-loading diet. This isn't a marathon, although it's close to a half marathon, but still it's not continuous. So really the legs are no problem. There's uh, a little bit more nutrition I'll give you on race day later on here. So the morning of the Tough Mudder, um, you got to start by being an old man. And what I do is my old man warm-up, and I highly recommend you do that. Now, I did mine in my hotel room at about 6.30, and I was actually ready to go and do the race at 6.30, but I still had to get to the ski hill, take the bus up, and then wait for our turn to go at 8.40. Now, actually, I think you can just go anytime you want. It says don't move up, but I think that when I do mine in Toronto, I'm just going to go at 8 o'clock. And no matter what time I'm registered for, because they don't check as far as I know. So if anybody from Tough Mudder who's listening, I apologize for giving that secret away. Um, please don't be mad at me, but that's the way it seemed to be. And so I did my old man warm-up. I had uh, some food. I had a little bit of caffeine. Um, I continued to drink sports drinks up until about 8 o'clock or even 8.15, so trying to get more carbohydrate into my blood system. Uh, without being full and without having a you know, blood sugar crash. So actually, I, everything worked out perfect for me. We went to the course by 7.30. We're an hour early, but we need to do the registration, which is pretty simple. Now, one thing I did forget was my AccuBall, which is this little golf ball-sized Accu, AccuBall thing, and it's good for a self-massage tool for your IT band, the soles of your feet, your glutes, and other sore areas. Now, I could have used that, but I used a golf ball instead, and it worked out okay. But a travel foam roller would have been great as well. I didn't take that. I just have enough room. Usually when I do foam rolling, I use a very dense foam roller and also a PVC pipe, so I'm pretty used to putting the hurt on myself. And so I didn't have that. Um, I don't know what difference it would have made. It's impossible to say. Um, the areas that I had the most problems with after the race were uh, my glute medius, which helps you minimize the, your leg sway side to side when you're running. And, um, you know, I powered up the hills with my glute maximus, my big glutes, but going down the hill, I used those. It almost felt like the top of the IT band, but it was really the glute medius just behind the IT band, just under your hip and a little bit to the back, right under your hip bone. And that's uh, that was very sore up for about three or four days after. I got some ART, active release on it, which helped, but I had a lot of soreness there. I also consume a lot of vitamin C, which is supposed to help reduce muscle damage and soreness, but again, you never know. Um, anyway, so I had a, a light breakfast. Uh, when I did that eight miles, I actually did it on an empty stomach, so I have no problem running a long, long way without uh, carbohydrate, in my, you know, a whole lot of carbohydrate in, the, in a breakfast form. 
Um, you've got plenty of muscle glycogen in your muscles unless you've trained the day before. Uh, you don't lose muscle glycogen when you sleep. You only have a reduction in liver glycogen. And so that's not going to be an issue in 12 miles. It's really only an issue when you do about 18 miles. So a light breakfast, diluted carbohydrate beverage, water, a little bit of caffeine. Don't go crazy. I saw people drinking Red Bulls right before, and I think that they probably would have ended up with some issues because they probably would have to have went to the bathroom because, you know, drinking that kind of caffeine and sugar mix right before, unless you're really used to that, is probably not a good idea. So don't do anything that's outside of your normal routine. Try and do some of, uh, you know, a couple of pre-races, you know, a couple dry runs where you wake up and you know what time you're supposed to be at the race and you wake up and you do a warm-up and you do the nutrition that you would have on race day and then you go through a long run, maybe do that about, you know, the three and four weeks before your event so you know what works and works well for you and then do that same thing on race day. So additional race day preparations, you want to have sunscreen, water, some light snacks, all the requirements for your race, which is photo ID and waivers, and take a cheering squad. This is a real social event, and while you're still still be fun to do on your own, as my friend Scott did on his own, um, it's a lot better when you have at least a running partner and some cheerleaders who can take pictures of you at uh, certain events. Um, I also recommend reserving your hotel as soon as you sign up. I didn't do that for Toronto, and I kind of got a bad hotel, and we didn't even have a great hotel in in uh, the Beaver Creek one. So do that, or at least go really early in the morning to avoid crowds um, so that you don't have to deal with all that stuff because the registration was long enough and you know, just waiting around. You just want to get going. Now, the stupidest mistake I made was I had these basketball shorts without a drawstring. And it was really stupid because you jump in water and at one point um, I cut out of this water and literally my butt was hanging out like total plumber's crack. So that was stupid. I obviously will change that next time, and you know, 99% of the people listening would never make that mistake, anyways. But your your pants will fall down if they're not um, well fitting. A lot of people had on uh, runners tights, which is a really good idea, or rugby shorts. Again, you just don't want a whole lot of material because they get really wet and they fall down. Now for shoes, I didn't do anything special. I didn't have any like trail running shoes. I just had those Sokinis, which were awesome. Um, I had a person at a running store fit me for them. I got lots of support. I'm really not a big fan of the barefoot running thing. I, surprisingly, the, the people that did that were the people that I saw, you know, off to the side with injury problems. You know, one guy was down a mile and a half into the race because he had like calf problems and he was wearing the Vibrams. So I'm not a big fan of those things. I think that we're going to see that trend disappear pretty soon because people are just going too hardcore into it. Uh, you know, you don't run in shoes for 35 years and then start running barefoot and think you're going to be doing okay. I mean, you got you need a lot of adaptation. So those people have problems. Some folks were duct taping uh, their sh- over top of their shoes, and I thought it was so that they wouldn't fall off, but I later found out it was so that rocks didn't get into their shoes. But we didn't have any problems with that. Um, so... You know, that's just one other thing to think about. If it's warm and you're a guy, you may as well not wear a T-shirt. It's probably going to come off. Uh, I, w- I wore a T-shirt, contact lenses, and sunscreen. Obviously, running in my glasses would have been stupid. Um, I wouldn't wear your Sunday whites, but a lot of people are running in costumes, and there was two people in wedding dresses, and one of them was a man. So you're going to see a lot of people in crazy, crazy outfits. Um, it's pretty goofy. 
Obviously, you got to dress for the weather, but dress for the fact that you're going to get soaking wet several times. Now, I got soaking wet and was able to dry off before I got soaked again. Um, it depends how well you do at monkey bars. You may get soaked less than I did, but you are going to get soaked because you have to jump in the water at least once is mandatory, plus all the the crawling through water and mud is mandatory about three times. So anyways, have fun with it. You can wear a costume if you want, but maybe for your first time, just don't wear a costume and and uh, be conservative. So that's pretty much for your preparation. Good shoes, good socks, sunscreen, water, a hat, earmuffs if it's cold. Uh, we wore gloves, uh, like mountain biking gloves. I don't know if those were necessary for the one we did. Maybe if it was colder out. Um, and then, you know, use a proven program to prepare yourself. TT Adventure Racing takes you through eight weeks of running and four weeks of strength training to get you on track. Cut back on your training seven days before. Eat more carbs in the two days prior. Eat a good but normal breakfast prior to the race. And remember the trans- transportation and registration aspects of your race day. So bottom line, six to eight miles. If you can do that continuously, you're not going to have a problem. I think there was a lot of people who shouldn't have been in the race that probably are still hurting now a week after. And my friend, who uh, I planned this with, actually didn't let him run because he had a sore arm. And even though 95, he could have done 95% of the race, the 5% of the race where he needed arm strength, the monkey bars, um, climbing up the Berlin walls, and the uh, the Everest quarter pipe, he would have hurt himself. He's already got a pretty bad arm, so... Um, he could have done the running, but he would have ruined his arm. You also have to be careful and just pay attention because you could break an ankle over a tree root. or you know, I literally almost got my foot caught in between the logs in the log carry area when someone set one down. You have to pay attention. You have to be on your game, and you have to be very careful uh, and monitor your body as you go through it. So the day after, I had a lot of soreness um, because of... In my glute medius, I also had soreness in my pec because of the stupidest thing. They have a Berlin wall, which is an eight-foot wall that you have to climb over before you even get to the starting area. And I had never done one of those before, and I was not warmed up in my upper body that well because I had done it about an hour and a half ago, my old man warm-up. And so I thought I had to kind of do a muscle-up over the wall, and I felt my pec contract really hard. So I had a little bit of soreness there. It's almost all gone now, so fortunately nothing major came out of it, but it was stupid. So when you do a Berlin wall, you jump up, kind of do a bit of a pull-up, then swing your leg up. Um, You don't have to push your upper body way over it like I did. So that was pretty stupid. Um, But then I got to the uh, start point. Now we're going to go through the obstacles. So I was with my friend Jeff Schneider, who's the director of operations at Early Arise, and we went up about 8.4. We got there at 8 and we're ready to go, but unfortunately our start time wasn't until 8.40, and they said, you know, take your time, you know, don't move ahead. Knowing what I know now, I would have moved ahead. Um, But we were ready at 8.40. We got to the front of the line for our group. Uh, They had an MC put us through some motivational stuff, which was pretty cool. And then they had a wounded warrior, a guy who had lost one of his legs in the Middle East, and he was actually going to complete the full race. And we we realized that's, that's real toughness. And we found out that when uh, we finished, we finished at 11.30, and we later found out that he finished at the same time as our friend friend did, which was around 2 o'clock. So he was out there for another three and a half hours. He had his crutches on his, on his knapsack. I mean, 
it was pretty cool stuff to to see the determination of some of these people who were wounded warriors who were participating. So we started officially at 8.43, and the temperature was perfect. And we started with a basic downhill run called the Braveheart Charge. It was nothing crazy. And then we had to scramble up a wet uh, piece of uh, area of grass on a steep ski slope. So we went up, we climbed the ski slope pretty hard. My heart rate was really high. My breathing was really hard. And so I wasn't sure if the altitude was having an effect, but this thing was called the cliffhanger. And so we we were running downhill, turned to jogging, and then turned to basically a fast walk on the way up. And so we went from about 8,000 to 9,500 feet. And then we got to another obstacle called Devil's Beard, which was crawling under a cargo net. And uh, that was okay. It was nothing major. But I, def- I still have scrapes on my elbows and my knees um, from over a week ago. So you will get kind of torn up there. Nothing major, but you'll, if you're a woman, you'll probably have bruises on your knees, too, <clears throat> if you bruise easily. I had uh, slight bruises. So obstacle number four was trench warfare, where we call, crawled through muddy tunnels. And then in uh, obstacle number five was log bog jog. It was just, you know, walking over some logs. It was nothing crazy. But in between these obstacles, we're, we're jogging around. And we started to pass people here because there was a lot of people doing things in teams, and everybody had a slow person in their team. So I'm not really sure if that's how I would do it. You know, there was teams of like eight or 12 people. And I'm, I guess that's fine if you have the right mentality for it. But I really just wanted to fly through it and really challenge myself. Number six was shocks on the rocks, and I actually felt like I got a rock thrown at my head, but it was a shock to my head. Now, you are crawling on your belly underneath uh, wooden beams, but the wooden beams have electric wires hanging down from them, so that kind of sucked. When I got out of it, though, the shock made me feel more alert, while the shock made my my friend Jeff got a shock, and it made him feel kind of woozy. But there's also other things that could have been altitude, caffeine, or blood sugar that were messing him up. So then we got to number seven, which was the first official Berlin Wall. And I know I, I figured out how to do these properly, and so I took a running jump, I jumped up, kind of did a bit of a pull-up, swung my legs over, just scurried my belly over the top, and then lowered myself down. And that's the right way to do the Berlin Wall. Then into the eighth one, which was the Swamp Stomp, and it was just running through some mud, nothing major. And obstacle nine, holding your wood. Now, this is the uh, log carry, and you can do it on your own or in a team. So Jeff and I picked up a big log, and then we had to walk up a hill and, and down and back. So that was it was tough. Um, and then that was when I almost got my leg crushed between the, the logs, so be careful. After that, it was off to the jumping in the big dumpster of ice water called the Arctic Enema. And this is where my pants almost fell off when I got out. Now, here's a little quick tip. You Basically, you have to jump into the dumpster, but halfway through the dumpster is a board that makes you duck under. Um, but jump as far as you can towards the board so that you aren't walking in the cold water a lot. That will help you out. So you want to spend as little time in there as possible. And when you go under the board, on the other side, there's a lot more ice. So when you go under, you're kind of going from water with a little bit of ice in it to water with a lot of ice in it, and that's a bit of a surprise. So um, power up as quickly as you can so you get out of that water, especially if you're doing this in April in Ohio, like I heard some people were. So that's one thing to do. Choose your race day wisely. Okay, obstacle 11. Now we're into the gauntlet, which was my favorite event. So this was after a bit of a run, 
and I almost dried out by this point. So we must have ran at least a mile and a half, I think. And then uh, we were climbing these huge... Actually, I didn't dry out completely because I remember when I got to the top of the hill, I was pretty darn cold. So the gauntlet is you're climbing over wa um, big banks of snow while they're spraying water at you. So that was pretty cold. Uh, but we got over that, and then we were on to obstacle 12, which was called the Sweaty Yeti, which was higher cliffs of snow, and you actually had to kind of scale them. But that was pretty fun because I do that all the time here in the winter with the dog. Is uh, Out in the farm, we have some big big drifts in the wintertime when there's a lot of snow, and we climb them like mountains. So I'm, uh, I'm pretty practiced at that. So we had a good time with that. And then into obstacle 13 was the gymnastics rings over water, and there was only maybe six rings, but I, I didn't make it all the way over. And I fell about halfway through and uh, almost lost a contact lens. But my friend Jeff, he was like Tarzan, swinging from vine to vine, so he was awesome at it. And then, oh, that's where I, I really wish I didn't fall in that water because from there was a 1.5-mile climb to the t top of the mountain, and it got colder with the elevation. And so I was pretty chilled at the top, so it wasn't feeling awesome, but it was still warm enough that it wasn't unbearable. So at the top of the mountain, we started turning around and going downhill, and it started with obstacle 14, the boa constrictor, which was just going through some giant uh, drainage tubes, and that's rough on the knees and elbows, but you get a little dirty, and then you get out, and then we had to climb some Berlin walls, and uh, those were 10 feet tall, so you uh, had a little bit of a trick to scale those. It was tough. I imagine that some people are busting their ankles by falling over these things. So, um, you know, definitely don't want to jump off the top. You want to lower yourself as far as possible before dropping on the other side. Then it was log jamming, which was uh, where you jump over and under some logs. Not too difficult, but when you're swinging yourself over the logs or the Berlin walls, just be careful of uh, your boys if you're a boy because you can kind of crush them in there. So at this point, we're nine miles through, and now we just had this stupid three-mile downhill, which really uh, wrecked my legs. Now, the thing about this Tough Mudder is obviously the one in Beaver Creek up a world-class ski slope is not going to be the same as the one in Toronto because there's no world-class ski slopes within six-hour flight. So, or well, I guess in Canada, anyways, you have to fly to Vancouver. Um, so I think there's only a change in elevation in Toronto of 400 feet, while there was a change in elevation of 3,000 or almost 4,000 feet in Denver at the Beaver Creek one. So I don't think there's going to be huge downhills in Toronto. Maybe you'll go up and down the ski slope a little bit more because it's at a ski slope about an hour and a half outside Toronto. But uh, it's not going to be as much downhill running, I'm sure. Then obstacle number 17, this was really fun. It was called the spider web, and it was, um, it was like climbing... Uh, a rock climbing wall, but it was made of rope, and it really swung at the top, and you had to be really careful about going over. So that was kind of fun. I liked that one. And then Kiss of Mud was crawling under strands of barbed wire, and through the it was definitely the muddiest event of the day. That was kind of fun. And then uh, as soon as you get out, you go into some snow, at least the, the race I was at. Obviously, there's going to be way less snow in August in Toronto. Um, I don't know if they'll have too many snow obstacles. I'm sure it'll melt quite a bit. But uh, I slid on the snow to get some of the mud off and then climbed another glacier, which was obstacle number 19. Number Obstacle 20 was Twinkle Toes, walking on a balance beam across uh, cold, muddy water. 
And this was um, my second biggest accomplishment of the day because I made it across. I'm not really great, but uh, I scurried my way across. And then I failed at number 21, which was the Funky Monkey, the long monkey bars. Made it about 75% of the way and then fell. So I'm going to practice those for Toronto. And then number 22, this was my biggest personal victory of the day because I was able to climb to the top of Everest, the quarter pipe. Um, so when we got there, there was pretty much nobody there. There was nobody on top of the quarter pipe to help. And so nobody really knew what to do. So my friend Jeff took a run at it and didn't make it. And then he came back and kind of told me what to do. And so I ran forward and did a two-foot takeoff at the perfect angle on the ramp, and it vaulted me up to the top of the quarter pipe where I grabbed the ledge and swung my legs over. And then by then, there was a couple of us at to- on the top who were able to help other people up. Um, so it was a maximum teamwork one. And this one, we actually came back to and watched people after our race. And there was a lot. Of, there was some people who had maybe f- had to take four attempts at it before able to get up to the top. So it's it's a tough one. And then after that, it was a final obstacle, the electroshock therapy. And I have a video on my blog at ttfatloss.com and on my YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash cbathletics where you're running through these electric shocks in a mud pit and uh, people were laughing at me, but I made it through without falling down. I got shocked about three times. But you want to blow through it as quickly as possible, um, take a few strides, try not to fall in the mud, try and, and make sure you get over the obstacle and make sure you don't get shocked a lot. So it's a whole lot of stuff going on, but uh, just basically go through it as fast as possible. And then after that, it was just one little uphill sprint to the end, and we finished in two hours and 50 minutes. It was a great accomplishment. Um, you get some cool stuff. You get a nice headband that only people who have finished a Tough Mudder get. Uh, you get some good snacks, and then you get to hang out and watch other people get started, and you can go hang out and watch pe- other people get shocked. So it was a really good time. Um, I will say this, it was a really good time for the first six miles, and then it definitely felt like it was too long, especially with the running portion. So it was kind of a little bit boring in there for a little bit. Um, But don't let me discourage you from doing one. If you like to run, you're going to love it. Um, And if you like a challenge, you're going to love it. So there's not a whole lot of obstacles, at least in this one. I will give you a full report on the difference between this one and the Toronto one when I do that one in August. So make sure you have proper training. You know, find someone who's going to give you good advice, whether it's my turbulence training adventure race or whether it's something else, do it right. And then make sure you have the right mindset when you go in there. Our model was strong and steady. So not slow and steady, but strong and steady. Every stride was strong. Going up hills, you got to be strong. Going through uh, monkey bars, you got to be strong. And that's how you make this an amazing day where you overcome a lot of obstacles. So have fun with it. And if you do it, let me know on uh, TurbulenceTrainingFanPage.com on Facebook and let me know how much fun you had, what your favorite obstacles were, and tell us all about it. Okay, so have fun. This is Craig Ballantyne from TurbulenceTraining.com. And we'll be back with another podcast randomly about some topic. So thanks, everybody, for being on here. Bye-bye.